On this episode of Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered, we talk about the lawsuits, NAR, additional scandals, apparently. We talk about what it's like to run a public company, things you need to do to be relevant in residential real estate today. It was a really insightful conversation. Tune in. You talk about it privately. We talk about it publicly. This is the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. Welcome again to the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, James Dwiggins, along with my co-host, Crazy Uncle Keith, Keith Robinson. Yes, sir. Tell us about Adam Contos, the partner and at Area 15 Ventures, but even more so the former CEO of Remax International. Yeah, we had a great conversation. We covered a lot of ground. One of my yeah, it, was, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, we talked about uh, how learning how to buy drugs could help prepare you for a real estate career. I mean, tune in for She's that. He's not actually making that up, by the way. <laughs> It'll make sense when you listen. Uh, uh, he did give us the best piece of advice he's ever gotten from a real estate legend. So you want to tune in for that part. Of course, mm-hmm. we touched on NAR and some of the recent headlines. And then the power of giving your best stuff away. Really, really, really great content uh, from someone who is spent decades around the residential real estate space. So great conversation. Tune in. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Uh, long overdue. I know I am very excited to have you here today. Um, it's a slow news day <clears throat> in residential real estate. <laughs> right. Um, uh, as usual, there's always some drama llama running through the room, knocking tables over somewhere. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But um Look, man, we're excited. Uh, I wanted to chat with you, hear a little about your background. I think the viewers and listeners who don't know you will be, um, you know, really intrigued to hear how you got to the place that you've been in your career, um, your amazing podcast, a lot of the consulting and the business coaching you're doing. But I guess let's just start there and give them, for those that don't know you, give them a little bit of background because I just wanted to preface, you started as a sheriff's officer running SWAT correct? Yes. And then ended up being the CEO of one of the largest real estate brands in the world. Like that's a big, <laughs> that's a big shift. So let's just give us the lowdown on that. Well, so. I, I, I usually say that the good part was I didn't get shot at anymore in the mm-hmm. real estate space, but right. I don't know if you can say that anymore. <laughs> so, so target rich environment recently. Uh, look oh, you totally. Did. Totally. That was Got it. Really good. That was but good anyhow, um, first of all, thank you for having me on yeah, both, of course. Uh, you and Keith. It's a longtime listener, first time caller here. So um, (laughs) this is a fun podcast to be on because, I mean, Frank, I love the unfiltered part, but a little bit about my history. So, of course, I my first career, like most people in this industry have a first career. My first career was in law enforcement. I got in when I was pretty young, 21 years old. I got commissioned after I was in the Marines for a little bit. And um, I... Thank you. And I, I, I kind of grew up in law enforcement. I worked undercover for a couple of years. I actually learned sales by buying drugs <laughs> undercover. <laughs> so, just, just all the listeners, we do not recommend that as sales training. Right. Uh, just for anyone who's listening, that is an approach. <laughs> so I, I had a, uh, I actually had a sales program called Narc Marketing that I taught. <laughs> But uh, this is turning out to be the best uh, podcast already, oh right out of the yes. gate. Please oh, it's, tell it's cool. me, so tell me that book exists somewhere because I want a copy. No, but I, I should write. Manual? I need to write yeah. that one, Keith. You do, you do, you do. <laughs> right after this pod. Yeah, totally. But um, I'll tell you the the DEA undercover narcotics school is one of the best ways to learn sales because you go out and they drop you on a street corner and they go go buy drugs, and so you gotta you have to go find somebody that 
does not know who you are, you know, gain their trust and confidence, learn about their problems, and then do a life-changing transaction with them. Does this sound a little bit like real estate to you? A little bit. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. A little, little bit. Only a it's lot. not drugs. It's not yeah. like a pound of Coke or something like that we're trying to buy here. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it's a house. But, mm -hmm. but for crying out loud, it is about meeting new people and gaining their trust and confidence, which was life-changing for me. So I worked undercover for a couple of years and I grew up in the law enforcement agency that uh, I still have an affiliation with. I'm still a volunteer with them. But um, I got on a SWAT team because of my military background and because we were kicking doors every night on the narcotics unit anyway, uh, serving search warrants. But ultimately I became the SWAT team commander. I became a, um, a counterterrorism instructor, Homeland Security uh, instructor, right around 9-11, no less. Wow. So I was, wow. I was a little bit busy. But I uh, yeah. I also had a consulting company. I, I started an online business selling government products and then switched that to a consulting company because in the 90s, it was really difficult to sell stuff online, especially mm -hmm. to the government. It still is difficult to sell to the government, but try it back then when everybody wanted a paper check and an RFP. Right. Sure. So um, ultimately started the uh, consulting company. Hang on a second. Let me get a drink here. <laughs> Sorry, I've been podcasting all day. So no, yeah, all good, all yeah, good, man, all, all good. good. But no, we're uh, all we'll all join you. So, <laughs> but but ultimately, what are you drinking there, James? No, here we go. It is kombucha. It's a little bit hippy dippy, but it has a little <laughs> bit of alcohol in it, which is why I just slowly uh, drink it through the day. There so, you go. Me, don't let me get started. <laughs> very California, kombucha. my friend. Yeah, very. You know what? You can be judgy all you want. I like the damn shit. So there's good. that. So good. good. Someone needs to. <laughs> there you go. So anyhow, I, uh, I, I built a, um, a training course for real estate agents, how not to get killed while doing your job. It was called safer safety awareness for every realtor. Really? And yeah, that, that took off quite a bit in the early two thousands. Uh, I actually had agents come up to me and say, thank you for that. You saved my life. I implemented those techniques. That's awesome. Yeah. It was very satisfying. Yeah. So, um, at that point, I uh, got a job offer to go work in the franchising uh, consulting business for Remax. Dave Linegar himself asked me if I would like to come work in the organization since I was working with so many people in the industry. I said, of course, I, I love the industry. I love the people involved. I, I like the entrepreneurial spirit. I like not getting shot at, you know, <laughs> things of that nature. So um, so I, I jumped over into Remax to do franchise consulting work and work my way up in the organization. I oversaw, um, you know, different regions, franchise marketing and sales, um, advertising marketing and brand marketing, human resources, question. IT. I have and, a leadership question that just sure. popped right into my head. So go you it, go please. from uh, leading SWAT teams yep. and sort of a, a pretty controlled uh, <clears throat> command structure, right? I tell you what to do, you're going to do it. Of course, there's communication and fluidity and, and all of the things you need to have an effective team, but much more hierarchical, I say you do, we execute together. You transition from that to residential real estate, <laughs> where, here going with this. where there is almost none, right? Like we beg, bribe, cajole, it's crisp, you know, it's donuts and, and, in Bloody Marys to get them to come to the office meeting or whatever. How was that transition for you? Like, how did you, well, how, what was it like? And then uh, making some assumptions on what it was like, but if it's like, I think it might've been, how'd you deal with that? 
Well, I mean, first of all, in the early 2000s, I'll say one of my first bigger meetings, there was almost a fist fight. So I thought it was yeah. back at home. So <laughs> you and Keith are going to get along really well because yeah. he yeah. wants to do everything trial by combat. And I'm like, I, we can't yeah. do that from an HR perspective, although I think it would be useful sometimes. So, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. we may not always get the right decision, but it is simpler. <laughs> And it's a lot of fun. And you, yeah. you hug it, you hug it out after the fight. That's anyway. right. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah. Um, it, it was uh, a little bit challenging going from that environment and frankly, where you, you know, when you're done with a call, you're generally done with a call. If it's right. a SWAT call and you're packing up your gear and going home, it's because it's over. It's right. not because it's going to continue tomorrow or for 45 right. days or until Charging. the inspection mm -hmm. or anything like that. So um, it, uh, definitely a big difference. But more than anything, it's an awareness of the people. So, you know, the leadership in law enforcement is understanding people, understanding their challenges, combining those things together and then helping them solve their problems. It's the same thing in real estate. So yeah. that's how I looked at it is I just need to I need to connect with these people because mm -hmm. after so many fights as a mm -hmm. cop, you're done fighting and you want to connect and you want to find a, a common ground with people. So right. at some point you're like, all right, let's. Let's all get along and, and solve some of the world's problems together. So it, it worked out well when it came to business. It's a chess game of emotions and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how I looked at it. And that's really still how it is today um, with a, a massive amount of, of trust and confidence and things like that built into it. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it, it is not, I, I would say, um, it's not going against the grain. It is relatively parallel. Yeah. Makes, yeah. sense. Makes sense. All right. Let's do a few rapid fires because I want to hear your answers to okay. these. Uh, because we've talked about drugs, we've talked about SWAT, <laughs> we've talked about fights, we've and we talked about real estate shortly, but we'll get more into that. Yeah. Um <laughs> okay. Rapid fires, 30 seconds or less, just to give the viewers and listeners a little about so who you are. So if you were a superhero, who would it be and why? Oh, without a doubt, Captain America. Yeah. See, I was um, gonna guess that by the way. So Okay. So have I have you ever was, dressed up thinking, as Captain America, by the way. Have you, ever done, have you ever done it today? <laughs> no, you, no, never? but I will say this. Gosh. No, I, I have never dressed up as Captain America. I was driving down the road one time down the highway and Captain America pulled up next to me on his motorcycle with his shield on his back one day. Though. I'm like, <laughs> dang, look at that guy. I honked yeah. and gave him a thumbs up and stuff. Yeah. That guy never done great, it. And whoever that guy is has a great life, right? Like he's oh, never totally. mad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to well, say dead. I was going to say Deadpool originally, oh, but he's not a superhero. He's kind of the anti-hero. I yeah. know, but he's so hey, good though. There's very you few know. roles oh, yeah. on this podcast, so like, you, we could go super villain. We're fine. We're, we're yeah. Okay. Yeah. He is. He yeah. is friends with Captain America and Spider Man, though. You know. That's See? true. That's See? true. And he's Wolverine. Hero, he's hero adjacent. Yeah. There All, right, go. Keith, All right. What's the favorite? next one? Favorite book or podcast? Well, we usually say this year, but in the last 12 months or and why? I'm going to go this year, Keith. So, Ooh, you know, dang. getting it, throwing it down here, I buddy. Like it. Go ahead. I just, I just finished this one. This is called Essentialism Ooh. by Greg McEwen, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Uh, okay. Interesting. So get this book. I know a lot of people would be like uh, Atomic Habits or something like that, which James Clear, love him. It's a great book. I've <laughs> read it like half a dozen times and all the habit books. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the next phase of that mm -hmm. on how to say no to shit you shouldn't be doing. 
Oh. So um, it's that's, Keith. That's you are not allowed to read it. that because you're, you're going to try and delegate everything. You're going to be like, I, I nah, I'm not doing already, it. I, nah, I, I'm not doing it. I already do. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's my point. Yeah. So, um, all right, right last one. one, last one. Uh, if you could have lunch with one person, current or historical, who would it be and why? I'm going to go with somebody current because I want to know what their crystal ball says. I'm going to say Elon Musk. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Buckle up. <laughs> well, yeah, that guy, that guy is bust. either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> he either has insight into what's going on in the future somehow, yeah. or he's going to go disrupt it anyway. So, you know, I'd love to ask him about the current state of affairs in the residential real estate market. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He That's definitely would have conversation. He would have a yeah. thought on it that most others have not probably. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have totally. to, you have to like, I mean, he's very out there obviously, but you also have to look at it and go, man, this guy is, is just on a different planet. Like Tesla, you people wanted it to fail. Largest car manufacturer in the world. Uh, you've got right. SpaceX. I mean, he literally is NASA. So like, I mean, it's just incredible what the guy does and how he thinks. Um, that'd be a good one. That'd be interesting. <clears throat> Although you'd have to like really follow along because his brain's operating so quickly. He doesn't get the words out. of the time. So need, you need, you need an interpreter there. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right. So let's dive into some of the main questions. Um, uh, so you, you had the opportunity to, um, basically be guided by one of the greatest real estate executives of our lifetime, you know, Dave Linegar. And you were there for, from 2004, so 18 years, if I'm yes. correct with that. Yeah. And seven positions starting in the franchise sales sort of consulting role you mentioned, all the way up to the chief executive officer of one of the largest brands in the world. Like, what, just give us, like, what were, what was that like? Like, how did you get there? Because I think so many people want to do things like that, but have never achieved that kind of movement up the ranks to to leading a publicly traded company that's you know massive so just give a little like i don't know just tell us like what did that look like that that movement up how did you get there what was it like to 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 be taught by dave and just you know i don't know where did where do we go with this i just want right. to hear about that background oh there, there's a i think there are a couple of key factors here in this uh one of which i would say is relationships so for instance, like James, you and I met several years ago mm -hmm. at an international franchise association meeting. Yeah. Nothing to do with real estate. It was funny because I walk into this, this room and there's James sitting over at this table. I still remember where the table was. It was yeah. kind of Yeah, know, and you were with right. you're with Dave. I remember you guys were at the bar. So yeah. Yeah, Ex yeah exactly. Yeah. And um I, it, it was about meeting people and connecting with them and building relationships. I don't care what business you're in. In fact, I've probably talked to most of the CEOs in the space since I've left Remax, mm -hmm. simply to say, hi, hey, my friend, how you doing? It's been a while, stuff like that. And those relationships are rock solid mm -hmm. because I, I was very agnostic in the space. I wasn't, while I had opinions, I wasn't insulting with them. I was, I was transparent, but caring and kind. Sure. And, you know, you don't have to be friendly, but you got to be kind. And that's mm -hmm. what I think builds a respect. So you, you've got to really work on that. And this coming from somebody who has never wanted to just walk into a room and meet a whole bunch of people, because remember, I didn't want anybody to know my name or what I look like. I had a fake name for crying out loud. So, um, you know, working undercover or whatever, but, um, it, it was, 
a huge part of relationships. And when you build relationships, not just horizontally in an industry, but also vertically in your organization, people, they, they respect you because you're respecting their position, but you're not, you know, kind of kowtowing to their position. You're, Mm -hmm. if you treat people like an equal, they will treat you like an equal nine Mm -hmm. times out of 10, unless they're harboring something internally, which is, you know, basically they feel threatened. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't care who you are. I'm, I'm not intimidated or threatened by you. It doesn't matter to me. So, um, you know, I, I want to kind of meet you where you're at and let's do some great things together is kind of how I've always approached people. Secondarily, Dave gave me a piece of advice that to this day I still share with as many people as I possibly can. And that's simply this, be a sponge. And by being a sponge, it doesn't mean go just learn a whole bunch of stuff. And yes, I like to read books. Yes, Keith, I only read this this year. I started this year with it. <laughs> you win. Finished, you yeah, win. I finished it. What is today? The eighth. I finished it this week. So, you know, call it like the seventh yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a great book, by the way. And I'll go find another one tomorrow mm. to go read. But mm. what I'm doing is I'm giving them back. So a sponge sucks things up. It absorbs things and then it returns things. It doesn't just absorb and keep. So a lot yeah. of people think that that leading is about just learning. No, leading is about giving. But in order to give, you have to learn and you have to be current and relevant with what you're learning. So really, and just to kind of put a label on that, that's called value. When you give value back. Hmm. So when you take the relationship piece and the value piece and you do that in your organization consistently, that's the hard part. And that's really what differentiates like professional athletes from amateurs is consistency. People Mm -hmm. who are willing to continue to do those things, even when everybody else is bored of them. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at yourself as a, as a professional athlete that is consistently giving value and building those relationships, all three of those things together, I guess you could say, um, that really has probably the largest impact on your growth in an organization. Now I will say this, the, kind of the the death of the whole thing is your attitude and your ego about it. So if you have a crappy attitude and you have an ego that is trying to protect something, you'll never get anywhere. Hmm. You will die a, a very miserable death while you're trying to defend your ego and exhibit really a, an attitude that drags other people down. You know, it's interesting. You, oh, go ahead, Sorry. James. No, we'll go ahead, Keith. Please, please go, go. How do you balance ego and defending an idea, right? Because to me, ego is taking it personally, but there should be a high clash of ideas, right? There should be the mm. the freedom and the ability to debate concepts or ideas. How do you balance that when you're working, you know, whether it's up, down, sideways in an organization? Do, do you have like a little alarm bell that goes off? Like, oh, I've dipped into ego territory. Like I'm digging my heels in a little more than I should. Or, or how do you balance that? Making sure that the idea is going through the crucible, but not doing it with ego attached to it. I, I think your reputation will begin to tell people that that's okay. And mm-hmm. a, a, a big lever in that is gratitude. Mm-hmm. So if you're con- constantly deploying gratitude because somebody is willing to give you their position instead of just sitting there and shutting up, which, yeah. you know, you, you see all these different meetings go on in <laughs> bureaucratic organizations, things like that, where people just sit there on their hands. And, you know, you basically, 
you're operating in an environment of learned helplessness. Mm. And I love that term. It totally describes different industries right now. It describes a real estate industry right now, you know, for not, not being political, but we are involved in a, a function of learned helplessness because of the, the vertical integration mm. within the industry itself and the rules and people afraid of saying something. Mm. And then it, once they do, everybody just attacks. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you, if you have that attack constantly, it's because there's no gratitude for that feedback that is there and the respect that comes with that. And you just got to be willing to admit, Hey, I don't, uh, you know, I'm coming to the table because I know I don't have the best idea. Let's mm -hmm. find the best idea and maybe let's take something from everybody, but I appreciate what everybody gives. And if you get everybody to open up and start discussing things and strip their ego away, and I think a lot of that has to do with laying the framework of here's the ground rules. One, no ego. Two, you know, we're probably going to be making some of this shit up. So let's all be okay with that. Let's be yeah. honest about that fact. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. here's the other thing. Don't be a sissy about it. Mm. Get get dirty. You know, go after it. Get hungry. Defend your ideas. Let's fight about them. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, we need to hug it out at the end and say, right. this was all for the best of the situation. Let's find something that works for everybody. Yeah, let's yeah. fight about the idea. Let's yeah. not yeah. fight each other, right? This isn't yeah. about you and me. This is about us beating this idea up to refine it to to its purest best form right right um, yeah i mean you've you've heard you've heard play the ball not the person yeah 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 I mean, right yeah. there yeah. yeah yeah you know it's also i i think as you were talking about it it reminds me of this it's it's just the way i've i've personally always thought there's abundancy mindset or scarcity mindset mm -hmm. and it's i've seen it in so many different actually it's probably about 98% of the industry in residential real estate is scarcity mindset. It's, it's always a <clears throat> me, me, me. I don't want to share. I don't want to do, I don't want to, my competitor is going to do something. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I've had people ask me over the years, like, why did you share all of that? That's like stuff that, that we do in our company. I'm like, well, first of all, like it all comes back around. Secondly, 90% of the people aren't going to do anything with it anyway. Yeah. 99. <laughs> Like yeah. not, not yeah. to be rude about it, but like the reality is most people won't implement, but I also at the first point I made, which is what I was getting at. And it's one of the things I've always loved about you, Adam, just like watching you over the years and listening to you speak is you're very, you're very abundancy mindset. Like your, your mm -hmm. concept is to help people share ideas, communicate. It's a rare trait in our industry. Mm -hmm. It's, it really is a rare trait. It's everybody's like, they kind of play to that, but inside they're like, well, I'm, I'm, I don't want to give you too much because it's this, <laughs> right. you know, this great idea. Um, it comes back so much just like, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but just the, it just comes back to you tenfold yeah. when you approach reciprocity. From, yeah. 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 Like yeah. what you give, you get, mm -hmm. what was it yeah, like? Go ahead. Yeah, one of the biggest factors of influence, you know, reciprocity. Yeah. Dr. Robert Cialdini. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, go in and give, give your best. But James, you're you're absolutely right. It, it's fascinating because people are like, well, I don't want to share this part. Or here, will you send, you know, they send you a freaking NDA for crying out loud half the time. <laughs> and they're like, here, before I share the rest of my idea, can you sign this? I'm like, look, there's no really brilliant <laughs> new ideas yeah. out there. Everything's been thought of. And, you know, if you're going to tell me your spin on it, great. That's that's fantastic. Go do something with it instead of NDAing me not to. Yeah. Right. No, right. Yeah. Yeah. So common. What's like a, I, you, how many, how many agents were underneath you at the time 
in like 2022, 2021. Was, you guys at Remax International was a hundred and something thousand. Right? 140,000. 140,000. Just gave yeah. me an ulcer. Tiny, tiny um, little, tiny little organization. How, how did, this is almost me asking personally, how did you manage um, that many opinions? And usually sometimes the loudest opinion in the room isn't necessarily always the the best or not the best but i i always used to, i always tell people you don't know what you don't know because people mm. make a lot of assumptions so how did you manage that like that many people in especially in an industry where everybody has one uh, that's a great question <laughs> and it was simply by saying one thing and that's thank you mm. so everybody would deliver their opinion and they all want they all want a rebuttal on their opinion they want you to go oh my gosh that's great let's and as you know everybody has like four different ways of doing the same thing and mm. it's their four ways and they're the best four ways. And they all have a, a new way of, you know, inventing something or doing sure. modern real estate or, I mean, come on folks, this is not magic. It's, yeah. it's relatively yeah. straightforward. Yeah. Um, so stop trying to, to make it yours and take possession and ownership of it. And, and that's one of the things is, you know, there is that scarcity mindset mindset extensively in this industry. I mean, look at the, Hey, you can't, you know, the, like the MLS rules for, for crying out loud, mm -hmm. um, massive scarcity mindset there. Why, why, do, why have, do you, you know, why do you think that permeates the industry so much? Like what's the, I, gen, what's the genesis of that? Well, I, you know, you go back in history, Keith, and you look at, um, you can't see this book. It's secret. <laughs> the, secret MLS book. the secret book. The secret or the, uh, the dot matrix printer that was like, mm -hmm. it was in the CIA or something yeah. like that. <laughs> that's pumping out the listings. And I mean, for crying out loud, that that's what the, the strength of the organization or the industry was based upon. And mm. I think we're a very, very slow industry to evolve. And um, we only evolve when we have to, not when we want to. Mm. And that's a challenge. You should be evolving when you want mm. to, to try and get ahead of things, because that's when you can test things instead mm. of be forced upon things like, you know, likely what we're seeing right now, where there's going to be change forced upon this industry and everybody's going to be like, oh, this sucks. But I can tell you this, if somebody in the industry invented what that change is going to be, right. people would be like, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. and you're like, wait, wait, just, come on, <laughs> mm -hmm. let's, yeah. let's yeah. get out of our own way here for yeah. a minute. But um, yeah, I mean, it comes down to that where I, I think there's, there's just too much control. The reality, people are going to buy and sell houses. They yep. need someone to help them do that. So let's try and, you know, kind of innovate towards that. Yeah. Innovate. To, exactly. Yeah. Instead of making yeah. it a, a yeah. big classified endeavor secret thing. And then that's when you have scandal and all sorts of other crap. Yeah. So I have had two friends, I would say they're more acquaintance friends that have been in companies that have gone public. And I've always, I always like asking this question just to get different perspectives. So, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, we have to ask some controversial questions, right? So, um, <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, Dave built this thing with his wife and, you know, the team from scratch and built this massive company. And, and, and by the way, going public is a great way to do a lot of things, raise capital, have an exit strategy. Right. Um, but you were there from private to public. What, like, what, what was that like? Did it change the culture? Is it better? Is it worse? Is it different? Like, what does that mean? Cause I know if we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are like, okay, we're going to raise this capital and do this stuff. And then we're going to go public. Mm. And I have a very good Wall Street friend who was like, there's pros and cons. You know, the con is, yeah. 
yeah, like you're you're going to be on airplanes talking to to stockholders all day long and trying to you know sell share share price, and you're not focused on the business. But big payout, you know. I, again, what is your take on it? I would agree there are substantial pros and cons. Um, everybody, and I, I appreciate why people do that. You know, the the reason that Remax did that might be different than the reason than that other businesses do that. Sure, but a lot of times, yeah. exactly, it's it's diversifying the the holdings of the founders typically. Right. So, you know, when you look at it, you know, they should, they should be allowed to take some chips off the table sure. and you're either going to sell part of your company to private equity or to some other investment group, or you're going to borrow money against it to try and take some chips off the table somehow. But ultimately the, um, you know, call it the most effective way of doing that is the IPO. Hmm. So, um, for, secondarily, James, if you ever call me up and go, Hey, I'm thinking about IPO and I'll be like, no, don't do it. <laughs> okay. So, um, but it, it's, it's a fun thing to go through, but it's also, that is now what you are. You are no longer the founder CEO of a real estate franchise company. You are now, you know, like you said, answering to the shareholders and the analysts and Wall Street about everything that happens there. And it changes the the board structure. So you have to have so many independent board directors. You have to have certain committees. You have to follow this 40,000-page rule book called Sarbanes-Oxley and things like that, which um, it costs a substantial amount of money in order to have the legal uh, backing, to have you know all your people internally, to have everything reviewed three or four times. So I, I would say... Is it great for an organization in certain circumstances at certain times? Yes. But otherwise, is it a hell of a lot of work and brain damage if, mm. you know, kind of for the rest of the crew? Absolutely. So, yeah. um, but I, and I the will culture say, changes, I'm assuming, because you're, you're just, you're, oh, you're totally. a publicly traded company. I mean, you've, yes, I remember when you were doing, earn, doing uh, earnings calls and that's, I'm sure I couldn't imagine Why did you how much bring that up. I mean, well, <laughs> I just, well, I just can, I, I don't know, nor would I ever right. want to. And for clarity, I'm not planning on doing this. Anybody who's thinking that, uh, just <laughs> that I just would just listening when you were doing them, just going, Oh my God, like how much time did you have to spend prepping every single response and like all the questions that are going to come across and it just didn't sound fun. I'm still catching up on my sleep, by the way. There you that. go. <laughs> but um, it, I'll tell you, you have a very talented group of people that you work with in, and because you have to go out and pay extreme premiums for extremely good people in order for Wall Street to take you seriously and understand mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you, I had to go get my MBA. I mentioned uh, in you know many different instances, and it helped me greatly. Um, it wasn't the same, you know, obviously the people you learn your MBA from, or you take your MBA from a lot of times don't have that experience, but they talk about it, what they've mm -hmm. learned in books, things like that. But ultimately, once you get on that roadshow and you're talking to those analysts and you're doing the quarterly earnings calls, things of that nature, it shines a light on a different part of the business atmosphere that you've never been exposed to. And it was mm -hmm. really, really fun to learn that. But if you sit, if you sat me down and said, Hey, would you want to go do that again? I'd be like, no, thanks. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. I, I figured just knowing you, you would have said that, but that's got to be a hell of a real world experience. Yeah. I, I wouldn't trade yeah. it for anything, but I wouldn't do it again. You may not be able to answer this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So okay. uh, how much did it change or affect your decision making process? Meaning knowing that 
man, maybe I'll wait till after this quarterly earnings report and let's push that for 45 days to the other side, some decision or announcement or like how much did being publicly traded alter the way you would run the business just because of the structure of being publicly traded? That's a, that's a great question, Keith. The, um, and I never really did a benchmark of, okay, if we weren't versus if we mm -hmm. are, you know, when it came to a decision, but I can assure you that, um, it did add another dimension to the chessboard that you're playing on. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, instead of a standard chessboard and the, the multi dimensions of the different chess pieces, now it's now like you've got five or six chess boards stacked on top of each other and you can move <laughs> yeah. the pieces amongst each one. Yeah. So it is all about timing and, and considering the next move and the marketplace and things like that. Um, it, it is very difficult and I have the utmost respect for anybody that runs a public company having been there. Uh, but at the same time, you're like, I wish I was playing checkers again, right. you know, as an right. entrepreneur, um, you know, just going head to head on these different things. And you're like, if I want to make a decision right now, gosh, darn it, I can do that. Right. That being said, it's incumbent upon the executive leadership in a public company to make sure that the customer base understands your public, but also to do your very best Mm -hmm. to do what's right for the customer base because yes we talk about shareholder um return and things like that but happy customers increase shareholder return yeah so if you keep going back to that and you know you've got this it's not the shareholder it's the you know the stakeholder mm -hmm. piece i i think with that focus and certainly that's what you know my interaction with all these different public company ceos has reflected on them um, I'm sure there are companies out there that are like shareholder, 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 but right. ultimately you got to keep your customers happy and you do that by keeping your employees happy. So it's, it's, it's this multi-level of well, happiness for that matter, but, mm. um, you know, value creation and return for everybody. Yeah. What an extra layer, what an extra layer of everything that you have to think through though, you know, totally. just the, the, um, yeah, man, the stress. So <laughs> Let's keep on that subject for a second. So speaking of stress, uh, speaking speaking of stress, of stress. Um, and I did want to preface to the viewers and listeners that Adam will probably not be able to answer some of this that I'm going to ask him. But um, so you were there when Remax got served with these class action cases. I yep. think you, were, you were deposed, I'm sure as well. Yes. What can you share with everyone <laughs> about just your, I don't know what, what, I mean, you obviously can and can't share certain stuff. What can you share about the cases, your thoughts on them? Where does this go? Like, what is your whole take on this since you were directly involved? So, well, I mean, whether or not, you know, you agree or disagree with the lawsuits, they are there. And, um, you know, obviously one of them has already found a verdict. So, um, you know, now we have to deal with that in, in retrospect. And I, I think that makes me take the perspective of why did we end up with that verdict? Mm. And uh, ultimately, you know, some people are like, oh, the judge might have missed this or the jury misunderstood that. But, um, you know, the game's over. It's an L. There's a big <laughs> one in the L column there instead of in the W column. Mm -hmm. And now you've got to figure out, okay, what happens in the next game? And the next game is motions and appeal and, and things like that. Uh, but ultimately, it, it boils down to, um, you know, I, I think when, when anything like this happens to you, you can't just take, you can't take the victim perspective. You can't say, mm -hmm. oh, this happened to me. 
Um, because if we look at it and say, okay, this happened with me, what did I do? What was my part in creating this or, you know, allowing it to proceed to the, the way it was. Mm-hmm. And this is a mirror that I think everybody in the mm-hmm. national association of realtors needs to hold up. Okay. Because ultimately that's the foundation for this. I'm not attacking NAR here. Um, I'll, you know, there's two parts to NAR. There's the lobbying part. They've done a fantastic job of doing great things for housing, for the industry, for fair housing, for, yep. Um, we have a great know. podcast on on that portion of what you're talking about too. Yes, right. You you name it, and I mean, yeah. you you could say, "Wow, okay, high five on that." Nar, and then you have the other part, which is the membership base. And then, I mean, let's call it what it is. I'm not going to say anything that anybody doesn't know here. There's been a significant amount of scandal. There's even more today. Um, you know, the president abruptly resigned. Who knows why? I'm sure somebody does. You know, obviously that resignation was abrupt for a reason. But, um, you know, you've got the uh, the way that realtors are viewed by the public. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you also have, how does the transaction work? I can't tell you how many times I spent defending the industry to Wall Street analysts. And a lot of these people were taking mm-hmm. it on face value and saying, why does the industry operate this way? Wouldn't it be better, easier, different, more beneficial to the consumer or whatever if it operated this other way? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, it's governed by the NAR. And they're like, well, why doesn't the NAR change that? Well, there's a board of hundreds of people and there's a bunch of historical data behind this. And they go, well, what if it was wiped clean and it became um, you know, blockchain and, and things like that tomorrow? Um, what would be rebuilt in that manner? So you have to, you have to look at, okay, we're in an innovators, innovators society now. And is the, you know, yes, I think everybody accepts that this legislative aspect is important. You know, the government relations is incredibly important because we have to educate our, our lawmakers. They don't know what's going on in this industry. They're just listening to the rhetoric or the stories or what have right. you and making assumptions. <clears throat> Great. Do that. But go tell the public the rest of the story. Right. And I, I think, that's where we've fallen down on the job. Um, one, we have 100%. no, we've got no barrier to entry in this yeah. industry. You know, you can, in, in some places you can get your real estate license in just, you know, less than a week. And um, in others, it, it takes an extensive amount of time and it's a lot of work, but why, why the inconsistency? Why do we mm-hmm. have different barriers to entry here? Mm-hmm. And why do we have mm-hmm. 4 million houses being sold by one and a half million people? I mean, that number doesn't make sense to me. You know, in and obviously we know the uh, the Pareto principle here, the 80-20 rule, or even the 90-10 or 95-5 rule yeah. here, yeah. where we have a substantial number being sold by the people in that very rare air, that small group, which means the more you go down, the faster you get to mediocrity or to just somebody who's kind of winging it for mm-hmm. crying out loud. Um, so... Uh, you know, it's turned into a membership-based industry mm-hmm. instead of a value and quality-based industry, if you ask me. So I think we're fighting against that. And we've done a poor job of doing that. And that's so, the story that they've somewhat outlined, essentially, in the case, is yeah. just how compensation is, the rules that are in place, et cetera. I mean, to, to you know, your comment's not wrong. I mean, the rules are set by the National Association of Realtors, which are set by the membership, because that's who's creating policy, you know, I mean, our industry is and has done and has put itself in this place. I personally don't agree with the way this was portrayed. And I understand this probably better than most, but 
we did end up putting ourselves in this position. It is industry rules and policies that have got us to this particular place, um, right. whether intended or not. Um, right. So, so, James, let's take a look at this from a leadership perspective. Okay. What does a leader do when, uh, let me ask you this. And I, we were talking, you know, in the green room before this, <laughs> what happens to a football team when they lose, they have a losing season? Uh, people get replaced. People get replaced. Coaches get fired. Coaches get fired. A lot of team members mm -hmm. get fired, things mm -hmm. like that. Okay. So, I mean, the reality is somebody has to admit fault in this, even whether or not, you know, here's the reality that the, the jury found a certain way. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you could say this team beat this team in court. I mean, that's just, that's the reality of the situation. That's a fact. So why not say, okay, industry, you know, this thing is screwed up and do we hold up the mirror and take, you know, accept the responsibility for that. Um, I don't think a lot of people are accepting the responsibility for the W and the L. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, what's the the first way to move on and do something better is to move past your, you know, deficiencies in the past, find your weaknesses and mm -hmm. repair those weaknesses or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. But, um, but ultimately, you know, that's not my call. I'm not on or in the NAR. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I love and respect all these people that are, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I believe in this little word called accountability <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I want to see the industry get better because here's, here's a question, James, um, you know, you have a, a, a young child. Would you love for your child to grow up and go, Hey dad, I want to be a realtor when I grow up. And here's why my hero is a realtor. I mean, I don't hear that happening. No, no. but as a third generation in the industry, yeah, I do. I think it'd be interesting for her to continue on to my grandfather and my grandmother and both my parents. And like, I, I, I hear you on that. The industry doesn't, I said this the other day when I was chatting with the new uh, CMO at NER, I said, nobody, I'm going to piss off a lot of people here. Nobody gives a shit about the word realtor. They just don't. True. Like buyers mm -hmm. and sellers just genuinely don't. And I'm not saying that that's not, something that we're a partisan organization. But what I shared was, I said, I think we need to be rethinking about, instead of advertising the realtor brand so much, why don't we advertise consumer stories? Buyers that couldn't have got their house had that agent not spent 65 hours negotiating a contract and their realtor helped them do that. But it's, this, it's the buyer sharing the story. It's not about the agent, it's the buyer that's actually a real live buyer who went through a very crazy circumstance that finally got into a house to build the only way that most Americans make generational wealth is through owning real estate. Like to me, it's just, we've missed it. We have so missed understanding how to, how to truly get in the minds and hearts of the consumers. And we not only lost them going on a rant, we not only lost in the court, <laughs> we lost in the, in the, in the public perception as you, no, Adam, my wife is a, you know, is a investigative reporter for CBS. We got crushed, crushed right after we had no PR campaign to back it up. We had no PR campaign talking about what we do. And every headline since last year's scandals have been just hard on, well, part on an of, industry that works hard. But part, part of why we lost is the public's perception of what we do as an industry. Totally. Right? I mean, yeah. so like we lost before, during and after. 
um, because we haven't anchored into what I think we've all sort of echoed here, which is that you can't lose sight of the human beings who buy and sell houses. At the end of the day, that's who we serve. And you might have shareholders or be publicly traded or uh, whatever the journey that you're on is, but the companies, offices, agents who never lose sight of the fact that who we serve is the human being in the transaction, those companies will be fine, regardless of the changes that are going to permeate this industry. And we'll probably have more in the next 24 months than we've had in a long time. But the ones who never lose sight of our North Star, or you know, insert your analogy of, of choice there, uh, that those are the ones that will win, in my opinion. Well, and and obviously, Remax settled their settled their it's almost settled settled their case. At least is in the process of being settled. So you know, we'll see if they look like the hero in all of it. Um, and and anywhere is part of that as well. Where do you think we are thirty six months from now? Like, give us your crystal ball of what you think the industry will look like. That's why I wanted to have lunch with Elon Musk, James. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> what's Adam's view of the? He, next he knows, months? okay. Yeah. I was going to yeah. go on yeah. Twitter and ask yeah. him, uh, or on X, whatever, whatever it's called. But uh, I think a lot of that is going to. Um, let's take let's take two sides of the industry because I, I think the the sell side in the industry, you know, listing agents and and brokerages, I don't necessarily think that is going to change a whole heck of a lot. Mm-hmm what I think is going to change is the buy side. And I think the commission, how the buy side agent justifies their value. Um, you know, I, I think a, a great deal of that justification is going to come down to the consumer being better marketed to and understanding the value of the buy side agent. And James, I know you've done a great deal of work on that. Uh, and I, I think you're doing a fantastic job on it, but ultimately what it's going to come down to is let's take in this, really busy blackboard that we've written all of what, you know, the, here's the 192 things a real estate agent does and throw it in your face. And, um, you know, I, by the way, my cousin's going to buy a house, so I'm going to show it to him, you know, things like that. And let's get rid of all of that and rewrite it and say, if we were to position ourselves as a very professional industry in representing purchasers for the sale of real estate, what would that look like? And I, I think mm. a lot of that is going to be rewritten for us mm. uh, here in the near future. I think the DOJ and the injunctive relief within the lawsuits are going to provide a great deal of that. You know, we've heard um, the plaintiff's attorney has described that. And, um, you know, I, I've heard it from two different sides, one of which is, you know, if you talk to certain real estate people, they're like, oh, you know, dirty rotten guy doing these things and other people have gone you know thank god somebody's updating the industry but um you know you you choose mm. with everyone i'm not going to pick a sure. side on this i'm just telling the truth of of what i see uh you know i'm i'm witnessing here and not judging but ultimately it comes down to how good in the next 36 months can we do about sharing the value in the industry in order for the consumer to appreciate that person representing them and then if that if that is really, really good, that person should be able to ask for and receive their due compensation for that based upon that delivery of value. So, um, you know, 36 months, I think that buy side is going to be reset. I think, you know, like we all hear this word decoupling, I think mm -hmm. we're going to have decoupling vertically in the space because realistically, I have yet to hear somebody go, 
I get the best value out of national, state, local, and MLS in this value stack that um, I think has just been created over time, but never reset with the evolution of society. Hmm. So, um, I mean, do you really need all of those different things or, you know, why don't we have one MLS for crying out loud that creates infrastructure instead of fiefdoms, you know, and stuff like that. And I'm I'm making some MLS people unhappy with that, but the reality is you were invented in 1907. So (laughs) let's catch up with this and say, how should this be done in 2027? since that's 36 months from now, instead of 1907. I mean, that's a that's kind of a gap, folks. Yeah, a, a bit, bit of a gap. A, yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, look what, what's happened since then. For, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, putting people on Mars and growing artificial cows so we can feed them and stuff like that. So, you know, <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't we update the 1907 rules or whatever it was? It's a fair comment. I mean, it's it. there's, I think, what, 400 and something MLS is still across the U.S. And it's, you just... I've been in this my whole life and I'm just going, I, I can't sometimes just go, how are we still there? This little podunk town has their own MLS. I'm like, look, this stuff's got to change. But you know, to your comment, sometimes people are dragged kicking and screaming into the future. And that seems to be where we're going to head. Um, Let me ask industry. a <clears throat> qualifying question on that 36 month. Would So are you saying that over the next 36 months, you feel like it's going to be an evolution or are you saying over the next 36 months, it's going to feel more like a revolution? For residential real estate i think it depends on your perspective keith i, th- I mm-hmm. think if you are willing to change and want to i mean it, listen up folks if you're in the real estate space and you want to be here in 36 months it's time to take some chances and mm-hmm. get out there and help the evolution of this thing where if you go kicking and screaming like james said then yeah it's going to be a revolution it's going to feel like a revolution Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. That's good perspective. Yeah. So uh, we'll wrap up with this. Talk to us about uh, Area 15 Ventures. So you uh, you 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 left as CEO in I think it was April of 2022, if I got that right. Now yep. you've got this area is a venture fund, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, no, is that a play about- on Area 51? Like, how'd you come up with Area 15? I got questions right out of the gate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you, are you a uh, a UFO guy, Keith? I mean, I could be. It depends <laughs> how much money you want to put in my next venture. <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, Area 15. So a couple things at play here. First of all, Area 51. Yes, it's a play on that because it's something we've yes. always been fascinated with. But um, weird story, Keith. So in Colorado, and we're located in Colorado. We're in Castle Rock, Colorado, about 30 miles south of Denver. They're hunting areas and they're labeled by numbers. Ah. This little area right here actually happens to be area 51 in the hunting uh-huh. venture. So, uh-huh. you know, little weirdness, small world Weird thing. Tie in. Yeah. We named it before we knew that. My brother came out and hunted turkey out behind our building here one day. And he's like, hey, this is area 51. I'm like, no, it's area 15. He goes, no, this is really area 51. So um, kind of Crazy. kind of an interesting Crazy. perspective. Awesome. Now, 15 is Dave Linegar's favorite number. So that's how we picked up area 15. Gotcha. And so it worked both ways, but um, yeah, yeah, well, what we're doing here, uh, James, to answer your question is we're basically investing in, um, you know, different types of organizations. We love franchising as you do. And uh, so we've got two food franchise brands. We have port of subs, which is a 
53 year old sub sandwich company in I know who it is they're huge yeah yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. we own that i'm who actually hasn't been to porta subs before like uh, well, me. if you what? live in these other 43 states you yeah. might not have been <laughs> yeah. porta subs yeah. yeah but uh we have three in the las vegas airport by the way so make sure you get oh. to one of those um but we're we're expanding that nationwide now so we bought that company a year ago and now we're blowing it up with selling territories around the country uh we've i mean we've got a, a line to sell those so it's great everybody wants That's to be awesome. part of that and then we also have a startup called daddy's chicken shack which is a fried chicken sandwich concept uh really tasty fried chicken sandwiches we've sold uh 13 territories around the us and that and they're all being developed right now and then we have investments in a whole bunch of other different businesses and uh assist with other businesses that the the linegar uh found family own so like we have harley davison dealerships and other motorcycle companies and um what else arabian horses all sorts of other different things so, <laughs> all the expensive shit. i know yeah, about no, the horse yeah. stuff man jesus like wow oh yeah and, you're a horse family aren't you no i i'm i signed on to a horse family that <laughs> was no james, i didn't wasn't james Fun, funds the horse family uh, yeah. horses yeah. wow it's like a boat there's just they just it just eats money anyways don't get me started so that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome. So Dave is involved in a lot of other stuff, and you guys are doing franchising still, which you obviously know better than most. Um, that has to be fun. Is Cal is Porta Subs in California though, right? I'm pretty sure I've seen it here before. Yeah, Where I've I've eaten at them before. So yeah, we're in California. Um, yeah. I mean, it's founded in Reno. Okay. So uh, I mean, it's interesting because there's like one Porta Subs for every like fifteen thousand people in Reno. So we have a lot of market <laughs> density there. Yeah. But uh, a lot in Vegas, a lot in Arizona, um, California, Washington, Idaho. There's nice. one in Brentwood, California. Shout out Brentwood. Oh, there you go. Over there for a second. Our producer is telling me they don't have kombucha on the menu, so it's hard nope. to track down. I just wanted to make Sorry. sure that our everybody knows our producers in my ear making fun of me for kombucha. It's uh, so. BYOK. Bring your own <sighs> kombucha. Yeah, we have all right, Adam. You could you could uh, kind of do something with the pickles there if you like your vinegar. Okay, you know what? Seriously, <laughs> judge away. Okay, I'm being very abundancy mindset by sharing things yeah, with you. I'm being vulnerable. Yeah. Okay? I'm trying to give you pickles, James. I mean, come I on. Know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. All let right, so him, let me ask him the closer. Let me ask yeah, him the last closer. one the closer. Go. And uh, I always ask this, but I'm very excited about your answer because you have lived and breathed in this space for so long. So, and thought through the lens of this question. So if you were an agent or a broker, what's the one thing you would implement today to set your business up for 2024? I, I would say omnipresence. Um, I mean, so many people start hiding when difficult times occur. Mm. So you have, you have leaders and you have hiders, in my opinion. Leaders lead. Those are the people that are omnipresent and they're delivering value constantly, even in the storm. And then you have hiders and they're waiting for the storm to pass. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the second question you should be asking me is how should we be omnipresent? And I, I've heard it said before on your show, you should be on video, but ultimately it should be that you should be on video talking about them and being yeah. very kind and delivering value, giving your best stuff away, by the way, agents, don't mm. keep your best stuff under your vest. Everybody knows what it is. They just want you to give it to them and then they will come to you and pay you back with that word we heard earlier, reciprocity. So I would say to be omnipresent as a kind giving leader. Mm. Great answer. Nice, great. I cannot even begin to imagine how much that resonates. Keith and I have had these discussions with other leaders in the industry who are like, just keep your mouth shut. And, and I'm like, no, we want to get out there and talk and, and just have a conversation and get information out for people. So, um, yeah, Adam, 
awesome to have you on. Uh, can't wait to have you back on. I know, I know you've got some other things in your pocket that you're working on. So we'll have to have you back on the show to talk about some of that stuff. I know, I know, I know. Um, but maybe, yeah, did you want to, did you want to make any breaking announcements right now here no. on the real estate? We've had enough filter? breaking news today. So yeah, let's just leave fair. that, let's leave that's that out fair. of it. But that's Adams fair. will be a that's really fair. fun one when he uh, wants to come out. I need to go read the comments on your social media post today, James, and see oh, what yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So. <laughs> I just would really like the industry to like stop with the llama drama for a bit. <laughs> so it's getting well, better, buddy. Well, there's, we're going to have a reality show here pretty quick. <sighs> there's a bunch of them. Already. Yeah. But none of them are like NAR unplugged or something like oh, that. Yeah, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Behind the yeah. scenes Seriously. in the courtroom, whatever. I don't know. Whatever it is. Well, should be fun. That'll be for the that'll be for the next episode. So, all right, my friend, thanks for being here. We'll have you back soon. Can't wait to hear about some of the new stuff you're doing. So, thanks, thanks for this, right, buddy. It's fun. It's our job to say out loud what everybody's only thinking to themselves. It's your job to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. <laughs>